All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it is with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. The book of 2 Thessalonians is divided into three different uh, sections. If you remember the first, if you can remember all threes by C's, it's really easy. The first one, Paul is dealing with comforting the church. They are going through extreme persecution, extreme hard times. And so what do you need when you're going through uh, extreme persecution, extremely hard times, difficult times? You need comfort, encouragement in your life. Amen. And that's what he's doing. This new believing church is just probably a, within six months old, and they are getting persecuted. They are finding out that the world does not like their newfound faith. They're finding family members are not liking them. People are dying. Their houses are being taken from them. The, the city is revolting against them, it seems. If we could check out anything of what happened to Paul, the same thing was happening to them. He modeled suffering for them. And so Paul's writing to them in the second letter after hearing back from Timothy saying, Oh, I hope you're I hope you're okay. Comforting them in their faith. Chapter one. Chapter two, there was some false teaching, and so there had to be some clarification going on regarding the return of Christ. Clarifying. Anybody need any clarifying about doctrine and things that are going on? Ladies, I heard you had a great time yesterday. Probably need some clarification on some things. I'll be in the room in the back after we're done. I'm not kidding. You're exposed to some things that were different. And I want to talk to you about them instead of everybody running off. We are Bereans. When we hear something, we don't just take it and swallow it. We go to the Word and say, where does it say that? Amen? Shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. All right, cool. Third thing. So he's shepherding the flock in chapter 2. He's teaching. And the third thing, what, what else is going on there? What is he going to do? He's going to correct. There are some people that are out of line, and so we're dealing with correction. Now, as a pastor, as a leader, as a mother, as a father, as anything, these three things are happening constantly in your life at home, in your personal life with the Lord, and us corporately as a church, we're being comforted, we're being encouraged, you know, in that way, we're being taught, and we're being corrected. Those things are always happening in our lives, are they not? I am constantly being corrected. Amen? I mean, I am not all that, in case you wondered. And I know that most of you are not either. <laughs> so it's a great thing to know that as a pastor, I get to comfort you, and I, and I want to encourage you, and that's, that's a huge part of, of, of encouraging you in your faith. Come on, let's go. You know that coaching word, encouragement, para something or other, coming alongside, right? that encouragement, that comfort that we all need, but we also need teaching, clarifying, what does the scripture really say? Or bringing out something you didn't know about the Lord, or you could handle this, look at the word says, and we bring them to the word, the word, the word, the word, and as the word is brought before people, and as we feast upon the word, our lives are changed or transformed into the image of Christ Jesus by faith as we walk in obedience, amen? So, so that teaching is happening. And we're going to talk about how that teaching is also, it's a, it's a modeling. 
There's different ways of teaching. And then lastly, again, what happens is there's always correction. There's always correction within the body of Christ. How many of you enjoy being corrected? Just me. No, uh, it's, it's difficult. And so notice how Paul starts in with the correction, though. As for other matters... And he goes on, and it seems like he's answering some questions that the leaders had there. As for other matters, brothers and sisters. And he starts off with just pleading for prayer. He says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. When Paul came to the, the church in Thessalonica, he, he came to them, he spread the word. And what happened to the word? It took root in their heart, and fruit started to come out, faith towards the Lord, love, good works. Those things started to sprout in their life. The fruit of the Spirit started to happen. Jesus was alive in them, in their church. It was awesome. He's saying, will you pray for me that these things would also happen? Notice, Paul has been beaten up. He's been hurt physically. He's been rejected by many. He's been... uh, plagiarized and all these other wonderful things that are going on in his life. And what does he ask for? Will you pray for me? That what? That the word would spread rapidly. That's what he's asking for. Will you pray that the word would spread rapidly? Church, will you pray that the word of God would spread rapidly through Christ Community Fellowship? Will you pray for that? Pray on your knees with me together that God's word, the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the hope of all the world, would go rapidly through this city, would go rapidly through our lives, would take root. That word rapid, it's like water. When it pours down on a mountainside, it finds the crevices and it just it gushes forward. And that's the idea. It's just it's an unstoppable force. It's just going everywhere. It's spreading. And that is accomplished partly through prayer. Amen? But there's resistance to that. And we've talked about that as we've gone through the book of Acts. And for those of you who haven't been here before, we've been going through the book of Acts. And the Acts is a historical picture of what happened after Jesus Christ was resurrected. What happened to the church? And as we're moving through there in Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas or whoever they are, they're, they're doing these missionary journeys and they're coming to different churches. We stop and we go to the books written to those churches and we're going through them. So we've already gone through Galatians and now we're going through the Thessalonians and then we'll move on to Corinthians and all these other things. But that's where we are. And so praying that the word of God would go rapidly and be honored, be revered, be put into practice, put it in its proper, proper place as it was with you, verse 2. And pray, second time he calls them to pray, and pray that we might be delivered from my back pain. Nothing wrong with praying for that. Nothing wrong with asking for that. And I would hope we'd continue to pray for those things, but what is the priority in the kingdom? The priority is the word of God, the message of Jesus Christ going forward. And we wonder why our prayers aren't answered sometimes. As many of you know, I am hurting pretty darn badly on most days. And I talk with many of you who are feeling the same way. And how I long to have you pray for me that I would feel better. But you know what's very precious about suffering, what's very precious about pain, is that God uses it to focus us 
on him and the in eternity and to narrow things down in a real quick way on what's important in your life. How many of you have trials in your life right now? How many of the accoutrements have gone by the wayside? All the little fun stuff on the side and how many of you are just focusing on the necessities and focusing on what's important focusing on mission why am i here what do i do with the time i have left the urgency of life amen i pray that you would deliver us from wicked and evil people that word wicked is the word for out of place perverted uh, prob- not, it's not talking about sexuality. It's talking about they're just, they're warped. You are going to run into people as you shine the light of Jesus Christ who are warped. And by the way, we all have been warped, amen, by sin. So it's not that we're just pointing out people, but there are people who are diametrically, they're opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are warped. And we will run into them. He's praying, pray that we'll be delivered by those wicked and evil people. Evil, that word is cumbersome, burdensome uh, people that want to burden you with evil, so to speak. So perverse and cumbersome, throw that all together. That's what he's talking about. Who want to weigh you down with evil to distract you, to pervert you from the gospel. Pray that we will be delivered from those types of people for not everyone has faith. I have no idea what Paul's talking about there. It's like in his world, is he thinking like he just runs into everybody and not everybody has faith? Or is he talking about, hey, not everyone believes in God or not everybody respects each other? I don't know. So have fun with that in your free time. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. We will have obstacles in our glorifying Jesus Christ through our lives. In witnessing to people in sharing the love of Christ, the, the message, the mission of Jesus Christ. We have obstacles from real people who are warped, who are sons of Satan, so to speak, who are ruled by the flesh, who are contrary to Christ, who have the spirit of Antichrist, as John talked about, as we talked about last week. Not that they are Antichrist, they're the spirit of Antichrist, just anti-Jesus. You're going to run into them. How do we combat that? We organize and we get a committee and we, 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 you know, yeah, that's all wonderful and everything. What do we do? What does Paul say twice? Pray. Pray. For the weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not carnal. They're not glocks. They're not hand grenades. They're not tanks. They're spiritual. Boy, what a lesson. When we run into opposition, what is our first thing? How can we manipulate the circumstance in order to get it my way? What does God call us to do? Humble ourselves before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Start praying. And as we look at Scripture, we look at things like Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 10. Remember when Daniel was, he was religiously praying three times a day, right? And he prayed, and what happened? There was a delay. The angel came and said that he couldn't get there because he was, what, held up by the prince of Persia. In other words, there's some spiritual battle going on there, and there was a delay from the time that he prayed. He said, instantly, I heard you, but I couldn't get to you in time because there was battle, and how quickly we are to just abandon prayer. 
and realizing that there's spiritual warfare going on. Realize that when you're sharing the gospel and someone doesn't want to hear it, or there is a situation where people are hostile to the gospel, realize that we need to pray and knock that down in the Spirit. Pray and seek the Lord and ask and invite Him and treat Him and pursue in prayer. Bombard artillery, right? And get perspective. Sometimes I have great frustration that's going on with my own heart, and I, and I can't discern what to do. Because, oh, I'm, I'm all messed up. And I can't, and, the, and sometimes I feel like I see that happen in others, and I go, hey, I recognize that. That's the enemy telling you to shut up and sit down. Not all the time, but I, I see it. So let's persevere in prayer and with each other. And Paul's, if Paul, the apostle, who's, like, awesome, you know, in our books. I mean, you just study his, his life and you go, wow, what a servant of the Lord. If he's asking for prayer, we should, have, we should do that too. Several times, Romans 15, I urge you, for 15 verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by fighting, by praying to God for me. He's asking for prayer. 2 Corinthians 1.11 and as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on behalf of for the gracious favors granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. Ephesians six eighteen through 19 And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. With this in mind, be alert always to keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whatever I speak, the words may be given so that I will fearlessly, boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul had to pray for boldness. How many of you need boldness? I need to be fear. That's the fruit of this. I mean, that is an empowering of the Spirit that makes us bold. Pray that we'd be filled with the Spirit, that He would empower us. The Spirit of Jesus would be in us. You know, I have a friend who's, uh, you know, far, you know, back back in San Diego. But one of his prayer requests would be pray. He's going to Sudan to share, um, you know. With, with a group down there, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a church group, and they're going to share. Just pray that I would be able to uh, witness to this Muslim school and his concern. Pray for my safety, you know? And that concern, you have wife and your kids and all that type of stuff, and it's like the answer to all of that is to be filled with the Spirit and speak when he says to speak and entrust your life to God. Easily said, but when you're in it, oh, Lord, help and we need prayer for those times. And that's why when I'm going to meet with some of you guys, some other people in the town, whatever it is, I text the elders and say, I'm meeting with someone, need prayer, send. And they'll respond, gotcha. They don't need to know the details. They don't need, I need wisdom and I need power. I need encouragement. And I encourage you to text me, bug me. I will pray for you. Christine will pray for you. We love to pray for you. Amen? It goes on and on about Paul asking people for prayer. But the Lord, verse 3, is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. If you remember, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, the Lord teaches to pray, is in, in Luke's version, but Matthew says, is, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in churches and on on the street corners to be seen by others. And truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. And he starts talking about prayer, right? 
and and be quiet. And God, when you pray in quiet, God will hear you in quiet. It's not saying that you can't pray in public, but what's your motive to do it? We see that an example of an ax. Everybody's praying in public. That's not what the teaching is. He's saying that that should come from a place of private worship in the Lord. Are you doing it alone? But he goes on and says, then this is how you should pray. Pray in this like manner, not these words. Because he just said, don't pray in vain repetition. And he's not asking you to pray in vain repetition. He's saying, in this manner, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen? Praying that we be delivered from the evil one. We're to ask for that. That implies the evil one is doing what? He's out to undeliver you. <laughs> He's out to get you. He's a roaring lion. He's around you. Not him personally, I don't believe. I don't think we're that big of cheeses on the whole world scale. But definitely his demonic hordes are here, are present within Christ Community Fellowship, working in our families, working in our place, seeking to disrail us, dissuade us from following Jesus, to take comfort in our flesh, to, to fall away from walking the straight and narrow path and from glorifying Jesus Christ in our life and our deeds. Amen? Pray that you be delivered from the evil one. And notice what Paul says. He says, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Amen. Jesus Christ intercedes for us. Did you know that? The Lord intercedes for you day and night. And Jesus' prayers get answered. That's pretty cool. You can write that down. Jesus' prayers get answered. <laughs> I love that. In Luke chapter 22, he's speaking to Simon Peter. And this is one of the last supper things we're talking about here in Passion Week. He says, Simon, Simon, in verse 31, chapter 22, verse 31, says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. What a cruel prayer request. Satan has prayers too. Do you notice who he has to go to? To touch you? To bring hardship into your life? To hurt you? To cause boils to come on your body? Anything like that? Do you notice who has to go to to ask these things? And somehow in God's sovereign plan, he allows them to accomplish his purpose. And while the enemy would use it to destroy you, like in Job's life, God would use it to refine you and bring out the most precious faith, like the suffering of Jesus Christ. How many of you allow your children to go through really difficult things because there's a greater good for them if they go through it? You are wise and good parents. How many of you Give your children everything they want, anytime they want it. Repent. I'm not kidding. They're, they're just going to lose it. And we're raising a nation of crazy people. I, I'm, I'm not talking, you know, oh, I'm going to get persecuted now. You know, I mean, here we go. I'm not perfect in this, by the way. It's hard. But that secondary, God 
is concerned about deep things within us, bringing out Christ Jesus in us. He's concerned about eternity in our hearts. He's concerned about these things. We are concerned about temporal things and physical things and material things. And he's saying this kingdom is going away, but what will last is what is precious. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let him live. And so as you suffer, suffer for Jesus. As you hurt, hurt to Jesus. Bring it before the Lord. If he says no, then it's for his purpose, his glory. And then ask him in it, Lord, what is your glory? What is your purpose in allowing me to suffer like this? Shall I continue on to pray? Should I ask three more times and you say no? Or do, are you asking me to persevere in prayer? Or shall I stop and realize that the suffering that I am suffering with is so that I might comfort others? So that people might see the Gethsemane happening in my heart, the olive being crushed, and yet the pure, the joy, the love, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the fruit coming out of my life like Jesus on the cross. That's what I'm longing for in you. That's what I'm praying for in you. Yes, I'll pray for, Lord, help temporal circumstances, but more than that, what is loving what is eternal, what is good is, God, bring out Jesus Christ in this person through this trial. Lord, be glorified. That's a hard prayer. And here, Satan wishes to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. It was God's will that he wouldn't be sifted. And he said, you will go away, but when you return, you will bless many as you go, if you, as you go on there and read. Uh, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back you will strengthen your brothers. What a beautiful thing that God will allow us to go through hardship and to even go through failure in our lives so that when we have turned back, we will strengthen our brothers and sisters. I have not met a person who has been used by God mightily who has not been crushed. Have you? Not many. We'll leave it there. We have confidence that the Lord, he is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Pray for that. And we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, continue to do the things we command. He who started the good work in you will complete it. Amen? He's faithful to complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ is in you. And so while Paul's confidence is in God that they will be protected and that they will continue in good works, does that mean Paul leaves them alone and doesn't encourage them to be wise and to continue in good works and warns them? No, he does both. He trusts God, but he prays. Just as we're also saved and we know that God will, uh, will bring us to that day in glory, but we're to work out our salvation through fear and trembling. We're to live out our faith. Amen? And that's what he's saying. Work it out. And it says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Satan desires to thwart that good work in your life. He desires to stop the word of God spreading through your witness, through your work, through the people you're influencing, he decides to quell that. Be vigilant. Be awake. Be, be aware of what the enemy is doing in your life. 
And now he's going to continue. And now he gets on the part where he gets to warn people. It says in verse 6, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle, disruptive, and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. Paul is dealing with the church in correcting them. And he has spiritual authority to command them to do certain things and not do certain things. This is what the Lord has instilled in the elders of the church who must give account, Hebrews. The ability to command people in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not in the United States of America. This is not according to the laws of the earth. This is according to the scripture. To command, to encourage to say, hey, knock that off. That's going to destroy you. How that's abused. <laughs> I command you to give a million dollars. You know, all this crazy stuff. But notice Paul's heart here. When does he pull out the big guns? When does he pull rank? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. And when he does it, it's for the betterment, for the encouragement for the protection of the body. If something's going on that is putrefying the body and it's not being addressed or he's being challenged on doctrine and these types of things, then he says, this is the authority I have, and he steps out in it. Praise God for that. I mean, I'm listening to Paul going, gosh, you got it, whatever you say, sir. You know? But in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, the people who founded the church, so to speak, these apostles, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Now he's speaking to keep away from the world. No, we're not to keep away from the world. We're to be in it, not of it. But he's talking about believers, people who are born-again believers who are idle and disruptive. And remember that word, idle and disruptive, that's one Greek word, and that means you're out of rank. You're causing disruption by either the way you're living, contrary to the redemption in Jesus Christ, or what? You're too slow, or you're pulling people back, you're pulling people aside, and he's going to start addressing these things. He's going to get into specifics right here, but he says, keep away from them. So, brothers and sisters, Paul, the apostle, has commanded the church to keep away from people who are idle and disruptive. Do you think that applies to us today? In this room? If we hold God's word as the authority in our lives, then we're commanded to do the same. And does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know, and now he's going to get into the specifics of what he's talking about. He said keep away from these type of people. Now he's going to talk about what type of people he's talking about. What specific issues happening in that church. We've got to keep it in context. It says, for you yourselves know, verse 7, how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor will we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Not praying for it, paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
Wow. What do you do with that, church? Paul was here today. How would you be doing? Notice how he commands you. In the Lord Jesus. This is something from the Lord Jesus. To the church. Stay away from idle people. We gave you the example of how you were to live. To to- and they toiled and they labored right there. They said we had the right as apostles to go ahead and take a food from you without paying for it. We had the right to have be to receive from the ministry of the gospel. That is his right before the Lord. That's a command of the Lord Jesus. That's why I can get paid and take care of my wife. It is a command of the Lord Jesus. It's not a bad thing. And I'm not defending that. That's just scripture. Paul is saying, but I chose not to do that right. I chose not to take that right. Second Corinthians chapter nine or first Corinthians chapter nine. Paul goes on a whole chapter here about his rights. Hey, can't we have a wife? Sure, I could have a wife. Can't I do this? Can't I do that? Can I eat food? Can I not? Do I not have all these rights as an apostle? It says in chapter 9, If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Shouldn't we have it? Paul's saying he has the right to all this stuff. Verse 10, I mean, chapter 10. You go on, verse 23, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. What in the world? What are you talking about, Paul? I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And that's the principle as why Paul did not do that when he came to this church. Because it was not beneficial for that church to happen because they needed to have a model of something in their lives. How many of you enjoy your rights? How many of you enjoy laying down your rights? You know, I was on Facebook and someone posted something about Hobby Lobby coming to town. You know, they're going to apply for a permit over here and if you, if you know their, their thing went to the Supreme Court about not providing contraceptive and all this type of stuff uh, for women and I'm not a woman but I am a Christian and I read the Bible and I, abortion is just it's evil it is evil and it's all about women's rights you know what forget your rights What about what's best for someone else? Women? Women, whoever's listening? Interweb people? Forget your rights. What about the right of that future person to live? What about the rights that you gladly lay down like people have done so that we can enjoy the wonderful nation that we live in? You want to know what love is? Love is to lay down your life so that someone else would have life. When he said my rights, that's talking about my selfishness. The right to bear arms. I think it's awesome to be able to bear arms. Praise God. But you know what? I gladly lay down that liberty for someone else's peace of mind. I'm not open carrying in church right now. 
Maybe I'm other caring. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, but you know what I'm saying? I have the right to do so many things. But when I walk into a room, I have the right to sit at the best table. I have the right to eat first. I have the right to, you know, all the blah, 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 blah. You know what? Jesus is my model. What did he do? That's who I follow. That's where my allegiance is pledged first and foremost. And he laid down his life so that we might live. He had the right as king to eviscerate Matt Dotson and still holds that right. But he went and died in my place that I might live. Paul says, I had the right to do all these things among you. I had the right for you to take care of me and do all these things, but I laid it down. Why? Because I was modeling something. I was teaching you something. I was teaching you not to be a taker, but a giver, because the kingdom is not about simply just taking and mooching off everybody. It's about being a blessing. And yes, as part of a body of Christ, we are to give and receive. That's how the, king, the world works on buying and selling. And we're all part of that. But the kingdom works on giving and receiving. Amen? And oh, how I need to receive from you spiritual blessings. I need to receive from you. And you guys support me. And I'm, I'm just saying, thank you. Praise the Lord. But may I be poured out for you. And may you be poured out for me and one another. You know, this is the body of Christ. That's what the word koinonia means. Fellowship. You're seeing someone lacking something spiritually, materially, whatever it is. And you go and you give and you can't help because love compels you. The spirit of Christ within you. And each of your gifts start to pop up as that love compels and someone will go and help someone's car. Someone will give money. Someone will fix something for someone. Someone will begin to pray for someone. Someone goes, man, they need to be taught. And who you are in Christ starts to come out. Beautiful. But he says, I had this, we were your example. We had the right to do these things. But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate, we didn't. For even when we were with you, we gave this rule that one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You know, it's sad, but sometimes we, we just have to implement rules. You know, I'd love to have a ruleless church, but there has to be standards. There has to be some things we have to implement and say, hey, in order to do this, this needs to happen. We want to make sure that that is, anytime we lay down something like that as leaders or as a body or in a home, that that is focusing on the betterment of other, what is going to bless the body and not just a means of controlling. Does that make sense? That it's prayed through, it's spirit-filled, it's for the purpose of bettering the body, and it's not a permanent statute to where we can't adjust it later. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a doctrine of Christ, so, so to speak. You know, in order to be in a ministry, you have to, uh, you know, have known the Lord for this long. Or, 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 you know, in order to work in the children's ministry, you have to perform a background check. I don't see that in Scripture, do you? There's a lot left up to us praying for the Holy Spirit and seeking wisdom. But he's saying here, do not work, don't, do not eat. They had a problem with people mooching off each other in the body of Christ. People have they've talked about what that was. They said, perhaps is the teaching that Jesus is coming back any minute. So therefore, hey, let's forget our jobs. Some people say that. I don't know where they got that from, but that could be. 
But I think we have an answer here as we go further. It's fun, interesting. When, you remember, I mean, uh, was it John Smith, Captain John Smith, who came to Jamestown? And his speech, his rule when he landed on the ground was, you don't work, you don't eat. You know who else who did that? Vladimir Lenin of Russia. <clears throat> so have fun with that. <clears throat> I was just reading that going, oh, man, it was so, it was so well. But then Vlad got in there. Yeah, it's amazing how we take the things of Christ and pervert them. Verse 11, we're going to finish up real quickly here. We hear that some among you, and he's hitting the main issue that he's talking about. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're out of rank. They're not busy. They're not working, but they're busy bodies. Boy, if you are not working, you are somehow in other people's stuff. Isn't that horrible? When you are not working, we're not busy. And I'm not talking about just job, but role. You're not fulfilling your role in Jesus Christ. Whether uh, being a wife out among the workplace or at home, or being a husband out in the workplace or at home, I'm talking about these things in our culture, right? If you're not fulfilling your role in Jesus Christ, you're usually in someone else's business. And this is one of the things I really don't enjoy in being a pastor, is that all that business just comes to me. I'm trying not to be in anybody's business, but I'm walking along going, oh, no, 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 no. And then there it is. Your business comes. I'm really busy with other people's business right here. You know, so it happens. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I know we're, I'm not beating up on the women today. I'm sorry about that. But he's talking about what widows can, can be in the widow's offering because they had a, a, a program for widows. And he says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for a good deed, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, you're out of luck. Do not put them on such a list. And he goes off on this thing that I will have to teach you about later. In verse 13, I'm going to skip that purposefully because it's controversial but it says besides they they get into the habit of being idle and doing and going about from house to house and not only do they do that they become idlers but they also but also busybodies who talk nonsense saying things they ought not to don't give them a handout boy what does that say to our culture today but he's talking to christians Forget the rest of the world. Forget the rest of the country. What are we to do here in our body? What are we to do in our lives? Paul is saying that you can enable people to death, to destruction, to be idle and busybody and destructive to the body of Christ by helping them out all the time if they don't, if they have the capacity to get up and work. So get a job. Do what you're supposed to do. Contribute. Contribute. Stop being a taker. How many of you enjoy that message? I love, you know, thank you, Lord, for that one. How to win and influence people. Or as I like to say, 2 Matthew (laughs) chapter. But we hear that this is going on. 
They're not busy. They're busy bodies. And such people we command and urge, that's exhort, that word for exhortation, in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down. It means to be quiet. It's not to, like, settle down and get married. It's be quiet is the word. Stop talking. Get into everybody else's life. Stop it. And start earning Working is the word, the food that you eat. Very interesting. And as for you, brothers and sisters, and here's the key, I think, of why people in the body were not working. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Do you see it? They get tired of doing what is good, what glorifies God. They get tired of it, and they give up. And as I've read it before, Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs, I can't remember. Proverbs 19, maybe. I don't remember what it is. uh, My mind is not there right now. I've got like five different sluggard parables going in my head, and it's all going to come into some little weird concoction that I don't want to say. (laughs) So anyways, go find that one out. There's like five or six of them. But never tire of doing good. You know, God's called us to continue to persevere in doing good, to not lose heart. When it gets heavy in your heart, you want to give up. And you know what's so wonderful about our system is that it does provide for people who are truly, truly disabled and hurting. And notice that was the role of the church. That should be the role of the church. Because the church holds one another accountable. And they don't take much of this stuff. They shouldn't. They aspire one another to be what Christ has called them to be. To not let them sink into the rules of depression and self-pity and self-lies and all this type of stuff and become a taker. There's a time when we need to help one another out. And I am all for that. There's a time when we help widows. There's a time when we help orphans. There's a time when we help men and women who have lost jobs and are in a hard place. There's a time when we as the body of Christ rally around people like that. We all need it. Amen? Amen. We're not to harden our hearts for that, ever. Because that is not love. But there comes a place when love is taken advantage of. When love is treated as common. And that person needs to be warned and exhorted in Jesus Christ and, if necessary, excommunicated. That's what Paul's saying. Hard teaching. Ouch. So he says in verse 14, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them. Don't hang out with them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 9, Paul says, Do not hang out, do not associate with the sexually immoral. Sleeping with your girlfriend, sleeping with your boyfriend, you're constantly internet porning, you're whatever it is. 
Do not hang out with them. Do not associate with them. That's what Paul lays down, 1 Corinthians 5.9. 5.11, he says the sexually immoral, the greedy, the idolater, the slanderer. Are you talking crud about people behind their back? Are you saying bad things about our president day in, day out? Whether you disagree or agree with them, I'm just saying we can become slanderers real quickly. You can disagree with someone without cutting them down and saying horrible things about a person. And believe me, it's there within. Right? And you know I'm no fan. But I'm just saying we respect people as if the Lord himself were in the room. Drunkards, swindlers, don't even eat with them, he says. Why? Don't associate, in order that they may feel ashamed. God wants to shame people. Do you know that? How many of you enjoy that? And our society says, don't shame. There's stigma involved with them. Yeah, there's a stigma. You're sinning. You're killing us. Knock it off. And we're not going to hang around with you. We're not going to talk to you. We're not going to be around you anymore. Not because we're better than you, because we love you and your life is being destroyed. And you're destroying us. That's what Paul, so I think Paul is working through this church. Because if you go back before in First Corinthians, Thessalonians, he says, warn them. Warn the idle people. And now he says what? Warn them again. And if they don't listen to what I'm saying, then you disfellowship them. That's the way he goes. Not fun for anyone. But what happens if you leave a little cancer? Just save a little cancer. Tiny bit of cancer, keep the cancer. Anybody up for that surgery? Neither is Jesus. And the purpose of the excommunication is not that they would be gone forever. The purpose is always restoration. Always restoration. Lord God, change their hearts. Bring them back. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. Get rid of them. You think you're being gracious and kind and merciful. Kick them out. He kicked them out. 2 Corinthians, bring the brother back. He's repented. Praise God. God has done his work out there in the world, out where it's dark. Bring him back. The body of Christ was to be so sweet and so good that it hurts to be away. But it also says that people love darkness rather than light. So in ending, he says, verse 15, Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Warn them as you would a fellow believer. Warn them, exhort them. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. That heart set on salvation, that mind set on salvation, the peace that God has got me and he will deliver me. In the end, the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. Amen. May the Lord of peace give you his peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. And I, Paul, write these greetings in my own hand which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. And this is how I write. And it was probably really embarrassing. Big letters. He had eye problems. 
but it was so that the people would know this is not counterfeit. This is me, Paul, writing to you. I love you. Obey these things, and you will do well in the Lord. I can't wait to see you, that old stuff. And he goes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God's goodwill be with you. Amen? So, praise God for the book of First and Second Thessalonians. Amen? We'd be wise to listen to this and to apply it and to walk in it and to model it for our kids and for the people around us. May God just empower you with this Holy Spirit, His precious Holy Spirit, that as you live your life and whatever circumstances come your way, good or bad, to surrender to Him and to obey Him and to be salt and light. Amen? Lord God, we want to lift up this teaching to you. We ask that you'd pour out your blessings upon us, not so that we could be just fat and happy, Lord, which I love to be, Lord, but Lord, that you would pour out your blessings on us, that we would go and and spend our lives for your kingdom, consider ourselves not important enough, that we wouldn't hold our lives so dearly that we would miss the opportunities in front of us. Open our eyes for the kingdom this week. Empower us, Lord, wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, that we would ask, does this bring you glory? How can I bring you glory today? How can I spread your word? Bring many people to your name, many people to your throne. And Lord, cleanse us. Cleanse us. We're all in need of your deep grace and cleansing, Lord. Have mercy upon us now in the name of Jesus. Amen.